when you lost Velda, how dramatically did that change your life? It changed my whole life. It was terrible. We were all so shocked. I trusted her more than I trusted anybody. We were all each other had. We really were. I found the body of the young female victim under the tree. Was a ligature applied to her neck. Her throat was slashed. The person wanted to make sure that the job was done. He was a predator, and I felt that if he's free in society, that young women aren't safe. As the months went by with no arrests, did you begin to fear that Velda's case would never be solved? Yes. The fellow who killed Velda Rumfeld is an incredibly dangerous man, a sexual psychopath, a cold-blooded killer. He's all of those things wrapped into one. Hi, I'm Paula Zahn, and tonight we're on the case in Brentwood, Missouri, just outside of St. Louis. It was here in the shadow of the Gateway Arch that a teenage girl vanished off a busy suburban street. Just a few hours later, her lifeless body was found in a field almost 30 miles away. The shattering details of what really happened to Velda Rumfeld that night frustrated investigators for decades and left her heartbroken family to wonder if they would ever get answers. June 6, 1977. The sun was slowly setting over the suburbs of St. Louis. County police got a disturbing phone call. The body of a teenage girl had just been found in an empty field. How was the body found? It was found by a passerby, a woman looking to buy property. She was just walking through the area off the roadway and discovered the body. Detective Greg Moore was immediately dispatched to the scene. I found the body of the young female victim under the tree. It was clear to him the teenager had been viciously murdered. Her throat was slashed, and there was a ligature applied to her neck. I have to assume that the victim was just scared out of her wits. How did you react? to the violence of the crime scene. Being a father myself, it does strike home, but you have to do your job. Detective Moore focused on the evidence and quickly concluded the teenager had died at this location. I observed her hand was clenching some grass and dirt. And the condition of the victim's clothing sharpened his theory about her final terrifying moments alive. She had blue jeans pulled down from her waist. Her brassiere was stuffed in her mouth. Was there any doubt in your mind that the attack was sexually motivated? No. 
Detectives believe the killer had carefully selected the desolate crime scene. Can you describe the location of where the body was found? It's a sparse, developed area. At the time, the access to where she was was sort of a gravel, unmaintained road. How far off the road was the body found? A couple of hundred feet. My assumption was that it probably was somebody that knew the area. If you knew where it was, you could drive down there close to the tree where she was found. Although investigators were not able to recover any useful tire track impressions, Detective Moore was confident the young woman had been driven to the area. What made you think that? She was barefoot. Were her shoes found at the scene? No, they were not. And neither were any clues that could provide police with her name. We searched the entire area and could find nothing to identify the victim. There was no purse, no wallet, or anything like that. Detectives put out a statewide all-points bulletin for a teenager last seen wearing a blue and white striped shirt and blue jeans. And it wasn't long before investigators got their first lead. It was a call from Brentwood, Missouri, 30 miles from the crime scene. The assistant chief of police there believed the teenage victim might be a relative of his who was missing. He gave the physical description and then found out there was an autopsy going to be performed and went there and identified her. The victim was 16-year-old Velda Rumfeld. The distraught assistant chief told investigators that Velda's family had only reported her missing earlier that day after a confusing sequence of events. It began when a stranger knocked on the front door of her stepmother's home in Brentwood. He asked if Velda was there. He was wearing a T-shirt and jeans and boots, and he had some sunglasses, and his hair was kind of combed backwards. Velda's stepmother told the man that Velda wasn't there. Velda and her older brother, Dewey, had left several days before to spend the summer with their mother. She and her brother had moved to Kansas City. But the stranger seemed certain that Velda had been in Brentwood. He said he had driven her there for a quick visit. But now, he couldn't find her. They were supposed to be going back to Kansas City, and she wasn't there. He appeared to be nervous. She uh, became suspicious. Velda's stepmother asked the young man to wait while she called family in Kansas City to check on his story. When she returned, he was gone. Did the young man who came to her door looking for Velda ever give her his name? No. Odd visit from the stranger left Velda's stepmother concerned. She called her cousin, who was the assistant chief of police in Brentwood. Within a few hours, he identified Velda as the victim of a brutal murder. St. Louis County Police began their homicide investigation by retracing Velda's last known movements. They knew that 
She was supposed to be in Kansas City, so they went up to Kansas City talking to Dewey, to the other people there. Detectives believe the answers to three major questions would become the focus of their investigation. Why had Velda come to Brentwood? How had she disappeared? And who was the mysterious stranger who had come to her stepmother's home looking for her? Sixteen-year-old Velda Rumfeld had been found murdered in a desolate field. The teenager had been strangled and stabbed during what looked to have been a sexually motivated attack. As detectives tried to focus on the many questions surrounding her brutal homicide, their top priority was tracking down the mystery man who had appeared at the Rumfeld's home looking for Velda. Back in Kansas City, Velda's older brother, Dewey, was still processing the fact that his sister was missing when his stepmother called back with even more heartbreaking news. She was crying and upset, and they had found Velda. They had found her body. It was terrible, really. For her older brother, the pain was almost unbearable. Dewey and Velda had shared a very special bond, one that had been forged during their parents' divorce when they were just toddlers. How much did the two of you lean on each other? I don't know how you can get any closer. We were all each other had. We really were. Dewey and Velda were very close. They told each other everything. They didn't think about leaving one another behind on anything. If one went, the other was going. As children, Dewey and Velda were shuttled back and forth from their mother's home in Kansas City to their father's place in Brentwood. I can remember us being little, maybe about six. Greyhound had a bus that ran from Kansas City to St. Louis. And Vel and I would ride that bus to St. Louis by ourselves. I trusted her more than I trusted anybody. As teenagers, Dewey and Velda went to high school in Brentwood, where Velda excelled in art, gymnastics, and her studies. Velda was a straight-A student at Brentwood. They were going to let her skip her junior year. She was a little spitfire. If anybody was a free spirit on this planet, it was her. But now, Dewey was wondering if those same wonderful qualities could have somehow led to Velda's murder. Dewey told police that it seemed like just a few hours ago that Velda had asked him if she could take a spur-of-the-moment trip back to Brentwood with one of Dewey's co-workers from the gas station. The young man's name was Bobby Keener. She said, hey, do you know he's from Brentwood? And he's going up there for the weekend, and I want to go with him. After much grilling, I agreed to let her go. 
the memory of that final goodbye will always stay in his heart. He pulled out of that station, and Vella was hanging out the window waving, screaming, I love you, and that was the last time I ever saw her alive. The details of Dewey's story made his coworker, Bobby Keener, the first person police wanted to speak with. Did that move him to the top of your suspect list? Oh, immediately. He's gonna be a suspect right out of the box. And while investigators tracked down Bobby Keener, the results of Velda's autopsy provided police with several critical clues to question him about. What did the medical examiner conclude was the cause of her death? Strangulation. By the ligature. Was the medical examiner able to prove there, in fact, had been a sexual assault? Yes. The report also determined that the stab wound Velda suffered had been inflicted after she was already dead. What did you make of her severe neck wound? The person didn't want to be caught and wanted to make sure that the job was done. At that point, what were your theories? about what happened to Velda. I thought it was somebody that she knew, somebody that wanted to date her and she didn't want to have anything to do with. Detective Moore believed that Bobby Keener, a young man Velda had just met, might have been that person. In the interrogation room, Police asked the 24-year-old what happened after he and Velda left Kansas City in the middle of the night. They drove to Brentwood, arrived there between 6 and 7. Keener said after eating breakfast at his parents' home, he and Velda went to an amusement park for the day. She said she wanted to go to Six Flags. He took her to Six Flags. Police were stunned. The Six Flags amusement park was close to the crime scene. Keener told you that he and Velda had been at Six Flags that day. Did it raise suspicions that it was just two miles away from Six Flags where her body was discovered? Yes, those are things that go through your mind as an investigator. We could tell he was very nervous. Keener explained that after he and Velda left Six Flags, they cruised around town for a few hours until Velda recognized someone she wanted to catch up with and quickly got out of the car. What did Velda say to him as she left the car? She said, I see somebody I know, and then that's when she jumped out of his car. Keener said when the light turned green, he drove away without getting a good look at the young man Velda had met. He said he went home and then he went to bed. That was about 10 o'clock. And detectives were even more shocked by the final details of Keener's story. Velda leaves a person, everything in the car. She has a balloon. 
from Six Flags attached to a string. She's barefoot. Did it make sense to you that she would leave the car without her shoes on? Not really. Authorities turned up the pressure on Bobby Keener. Were there any gaps in his story? One time he said he may have stopped across the street from where he dropped Felda off and waited for her for a few minutes. And then there were other statements that he didn't. He just drove back to his mom's. He had some time lost in there that he couldn't fully explain. So there were a lot of suspicions there that had to be checked out. While investigators believe they were closing in on Velda's killer, they never could have imagined the twists and turns the case was about to take. Police had zeroed in on 24-year-old Bobby Keener as the prime suspect in Velda Rumfeld's murder. By his own account, he had been close to the crime scene with Velda, and an intense interrogation revealed several key discrepancies in his story. Investigators now believed it was just a matter of time before Bobby Keener cracked and told them he was actually there when Velda died. Detectives hammered the 24-year-old with tough questions about the final moments he spent with Velda. In particular, his account of how the 16-year-old had left his car barefoot on a busy street without her purse. Did Bobby Keener's story add up? He was very nervous. When you keep re-interviewing persons, the tendency is to think that you're not believing them. Keener's story appeared even more suspicious after police completed a search of his car and family home. We found uh, Velda's shoes and purse. Had Bobby Keener made up his strange story to explain away the evidence? Or was he actually telling the truth? Officers went to the stoplight where Keener claimed to have last seen Velda, and they spoke with several employees who worked at the restaurant located there, including 20-year-old Mark Dover. What exactly did he tell you? He said that he and another co-worker were out on the parking lot of the restaurant, and they were taking a smoke break or something, and all of a sudden Velda appears. She was wearing a blue and white striped shirt, T-shirt, and she was carrying a balloon with a string. She was also barefoot. Detectives were stunned. The restaurant worker's account seemed to confirm Bobby Keener's story. They have a conversation. She said she'd like to do something, and he said, no, he can't. He's working that evening. Did she tell him where she was going? No. The last he saw her was she was walking down Brentwood Boulevard. Barefoot, mm -hmm. holding a balloon. Mm -hmm. And it turned out that Mark Dover wasn't even the last person to see the barefoot teen that evening. 
two girls who knew Velda from school came forward with a chilling story. They had seen Velda walking down Brentwood Boulevard. She was with an older guy. They were walking with his arm around her waist. Liz and her friend thought they might have caught Velda out on a secret date. Being 16 and curious, we decided to follow them to see who she was with, if we could recognize him or not. Did she recognize the man? No. But the young girl remembered an important detail. She said she saw the balloon. Velda's classmates surreptitiously followed her for two blocks, when suddenly Velda made eye contact with them. She turned and looked over, and I just thought, uh-oh, she's mad at us because we're following her. Then the man pulled Velda closer, and the two ducked around the next corner. So then we actually just uh, turned around and left. It didn't seem threatening to us at that time. We didn't realize she was in trouble. But when Velda's murder became front page news, the teenagers realized they had been wrong. And they gave police every detail about the man that they could remember. He was probably around 5'10". He looked to be in his 20s, mid-20s maybe. He had long hair. He was slender, really slender through the hips. He was wearing blue jeans. We only saw his face like once. The man Liz described wasn't Bobby Keener. Brentwood was actually a very small town and a small suburb and everyone knew everyone. At the time, I did not recognize anyone as the person that I'd seen that night. Despite the eyewitness account, police still had Keener take a polygraph. What were the results? He told the truth. His story checked out all the way through, and he was pretty quickly cleared of any involvement in this. After Bobby Keener had been officially eliminated as a suspect, those working on the case changed gears. A string of crimes in the area forced them to consider another terrifying possibility. Was the man Velda's friends had seen walking with the teenager actually a potential serial killer? investigation into Velda Rumfeld's murder was heating up. Police had found two teenage girls who had seen Velda walking down Brentwood Boulevard with a man they didn't recognize. At the time, Velda's classmates had thought she was out on a date. But now detectives believe the stranger she was with was most likely her killer. Investigators were working around the clock determined to find the man who had last been seen with Velda that night. This is the location on the intersection where Velda was last seen. She was walking south. She was accompanied by a white male having uh, long hair. 
at that point, what were your theories about what happened to Velda? I thought if she was abducted, I thought this was a person that had done this before. And that theory gained even more traction when Detective Moore learned that a man named Kevin Kiger was under investigation for the murder of a 17-year-old girl in the neighboring town of Webster Groves. That crime happened just a few weeks after Velda's murder. How did you find out about Kevin Kiger? The local municipal police department there who had a similar victim found in a wooded area around the same time. She had been sexually assaulted and had been strangled in a park that was not far at all from Brentwood. Kiger had come under suspicion as the last person seen with the teenager, and the young woman's autopsy revealed a chilling detail that led St. Louis County police to believe her murder was connected to Velda's. Her throat was cut. Even more startling was the fact that the knife wounds both teenagers had suffered had been inflicted post-mortem. Detective Moore carefully reviewed the crime scene pictures. When I saw the photographs, they almost matched perfectly between Velda and, and their victim. The evidence continued to mount when police took a hard look at Kiger's background. Did Kiger have any kind of connection to Velda? The suspect went to the same school Velda went to. And Velda had rejected Kiger's repeated advances. He would try to make a date with her. She wouldn't have anything to do with him. Did she ever tell anybody that that frightened her? Yes. But despite those disturbing links, police found little to move their case forward. Could you find any physical evidence connecting Kiger to Velda's murder? No. And the case ground to a halt when Velda's classmates could not pick out Kevin Kiger in a lineup. They checked every witness they could check. They ran everything down. After months of dead ends, he was still the prime suspect. There just wasn't enough to charge him. How frustrating was that for you to know that Velda's killer remained at large? We constantly would go back over, what else can we do? Can we go re-interview somebody? It was very frustrating. Kevin Kiger was ultimately convicted of first-degree murder for a vicious stabbing that had no connection to either the teen from Webster Grove or Velda. And while he remained the prime suspect in both open investigations, the lack of justice for the young women left a dark cloud 
hanging over the entire region. It changed my whole life. It was terrible. We were all so shocked. Despite all the fear and disappointment, Felda's brother Dewey never gave up. I really believed that her case would be solved. I was always hopeful. How painful was it for you to not know who killed Velda? You know what I hung on to? Our memories. That's what I had. That's my treasure. So that's what I hung on to. For decades, the case remained at a standstill. Then, in 2006, cold case detective Joe Burgoon decided to reopen the investigation. He was stunned to find the evidence from Velda's case had been meticulously preserved and believed that modern forensic science might finally provide her family with the answers they had been praying for. Forensic scientist Peggy Walsh wasn't as optimistic. Well, the evidence was almost 30 years old. I never worked on evidence that old. I was concerned that some of our tests might not work. Walsh focused her attention on the articles of Velda's clothing that might have come in contact with biological material. I started with her underpants. And amazingly, the DNA testing was a success. We got a full male profile from that evidence. The cold case team immediately requested Kevin Kiger's DNA for comparison. And the results were stunning. This didn't match. Investigators then entered the unidentified biological evidence into CODIS, the national DNA database. We got no hits, no matches. For the second time in 30 years, investigators searching for Velda Rumfeld's killer had run out of leads. And many began to wonder if the case would ever be solved. Nearly three decades after Velda Rumfeld's murder, modern forensic science provided law enforcement with the physical evidence they needed to identify her killer. But the investigation ground to a halt after DNA testing cleared their prime suspect, and the CODIS database also failed to provide a match. Despite the frustrating setbacks, police and Velda's family remained hopeful that justice would one day be served. It had been more than a year since St. Louis County cold case investigator Joe Burgoon had received his last lead on Velda Rumfeld's killer. Then he got an unexpected call from Detective Jim Rokita of the Belleville, Illinois Police Department. When you call the St. Louis County Police Department, 
What specifically were you looking for? Any unsolved rapes and murders of young females back in 77 and 78. Then, Detective Rokita explained why. 55-year-old Gregory Bowman, a man who he had helped put behind bars for the rape and murder of two young women, had just had his convictions reversed. Questions about how Bowman's confession had been obtained 20 years ago allowed the known sex offender to be released on bond while awaiting a new trial. He was on the street again. I was concerned. I knew he was a predator, and I felt that uh, if he's free in society, that young women aren't safe. What did you think you could do about it? I was hoping I could find another case. I felt that he was a serial killer, and I felt that there were more victims besides the two homicide victims that we convicted him for in Belleville. Still, Rokita knew that finding a decades-old crime with the physical evidence he needed was a long shot at best. So he was surprised by Detective Burgoon's response. Told him that we have a case. A young lady named Velda Rumfeld was killed in 77, out by Six Flags. When the two detectives compared notes, they began to suspect they might be on the right track. What were the similarities between Velda's case and the others you had investigated? Victims were found fully clothed, and they were raped, ligature, and manual strangulation. Gregory Bowman's long criminal history also included a violent sexual attack at knife point. He abducted her and held a knife to her neck. That was his M.O. Velda had also suffered a deep laceration to her throat. When Detective Rokita was told that St. Louis County Police had recently obtained a DNA profile of Velda's killer, he immediately faxed Gregory Bowman's DNA for comparison. Forensic scientist Peggy Walsh performed the test. I took the profile and I compared it to the profile obtained from the Velda Joy Rumfeld homicide, and they matched. Take me back to the moment when you got the results back. I was in my office and I got the phone call and she advised me that it was a complete match. I was very elated. I filed charges that afternoon because Bowman had just been released. Police quickly tracked down Bowman and were able to take the felon into custody without a fight. Just how relieved were you that Gregory Bowman was back behind bars? I was extremely relieved. Very happy he was where he belonged. Investigators tried to question Bowman about Velda Rumfeld's murder. The hardened criminal refused to provide any information. He wouldn't make a statement. 
But investigators continued to strengthen their case against Bowman. Police showed a photo lineup using mugshots from the late 70s to the former classmate who had seen Velda walking down Brentwood Boulevard on the night of her murder. She identified him without any hesitation in that lineup, saying, no, this is the guy right here, number six. That is the guy that I saw her with that night. She said she wouldn't forget those eyes. I was sure it was that face. That was just so burned in my memory. For the prosecution, the witness identification was the final piece of the puzzle. We knew not only that we had the fellow who killed Velda Rumfeld, but he's an incredibly dangerous man. Put any label you want on him, a sexual psychopath, a cold-blooded killer, he's all of those things wrapped into one. Despite all of the evidence against him, Bowman pled not guilty. They challenged the DNA. It was old, not reliable, all that sort of stuff, but that just went nowhere. The DNA was just beyond question. Velda's family was outraged by Bowman's demeanor during the trial. How smart he wanted everybody to think he was. Paula, I can't tell you how mad I got. It was just everything we had to just sit there. And he was so arrogant. What did you see? Nothing. No remorse, no, no guilt. In his mind, he never did anything wrong. In the end, the jury found Gregory Bowman guilty of capital murder. Describe to me the moment when the verdict came down. I didn't really have any any doubt that they were gonna have anything other than a guilty verdict. I really didn't, because the evidence was just overwhelming. They had found the person that had killed Velda. What did it mean to you to finally learn the truth about who killed your sister after 30 years? Is a miracle come true for us? We both just busted out crying because justice had finally been won for her, you know. Um, we were very, very glad. And all I kept thinking was she, I kept thinking she was up there high-fiing, yes, you know, we got him. We finally got him. When it came time to sentence Bowman, prosecutors asked for the death penalty. It's never an easy decision because we're talking about taking somebody's life, but it was the nature of the offense itself. There's a kidnapping, rape, murder. Those are all aggravating circumstances. During the penalty phase, prosecutors also used the evidence Detective Rokita had collected against Bowman for the murder of the two young women in Belleville, Illinois, back in 1978. We basically retried those cases. We put on evidence that he committed these crimes. On October 22, 2009, the judge sentenced 58-year-old Gregory Bowman to death. 
We were so glad that he got the death sentence. There's some people out there that don't believe in the death sentence, and that's their prerogative. But we do because we've had someone taken from us in a brutal way. It was terrible. Bowman's sentence also helped ease some of the burden Dewey Rumfeld had been carrying since the night he waved goodbye to Velda three decades before. I made the decision, and do I regret it? Yeah. I developed some habits that uh, would have been better left not explored, but I got a hold of myself. I had the sense to do that. A lot of people don't. Today, Dewey and his wife, Teresa, have put Gregory Bowman behind them. They focus on Velda and keeping her memory alive. If this tragedy hadn't happened, where would you see Velda today? Velda was so talented. She could have went anywhere and done anything. She really could have. If you met Velda, you would never forget her. There was no telling how far Velda would have went. One of the other lessons I learned at the trial, we don't think about it. How many other lives does one life affect? Velda's life has affected a lot of people that she never knew. The world missed out on a fantastic person. It really did. In 2011, the Missouri Supreme Court overturned Gregory Bowman's death sentence on the grounds that testimony about his prior crimes had been improperly introduced during the penalty phase. While St. Louis County prosecutors prepared to seek the death penalty for a second time, Bowman died behind bars at the age of 64. I'm Paula Zahn. Please join us again next time when we're back on the case.